Hello, everybody, and welcome back for another episode of Mangum Reads. We are continuing our run through nominees of short stories, and having run out of Hugo options, we have turned to the Nebula, which for no apparent reason decided to pick three different short stories than its overseas rival. I'm Spencer, and joining me, of course, are BJ and Sarah. How are, how are y'all doing? I am doing just fine, Spencer, and I have a lot of questions on your readings of these stories. <laughs> I'm sure you do. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, we'll get to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we decided to continue with these short stories because there was sort of a weird overlap. And I feel like I'd need to go back and do research um, on the, like, how many overlapping choices do does uh, the Hugo, the Nebula, mm-hmm. and the Clark awards and and basically just like do the awards choose similar stories or do they choose different stories and like what's the overlap there mm-hmm. um which i find kind of interesting like the choices that were made and and maybe we can sort of get to the of the nine stories you know do we think that there should have been some in one and not the other etc mm-hmm Well, before we get into the meat of what these stories are, and we can introduce them now as How the Trick is Done by A.C. Wise, uh, Give the Family My Love by, pulling to the top of the page, uh, A.T. Greenblatt, and The Dead and Their Uncontrollable Power by Karen Osborne. But before we get into those, uh, we always love to start with our chosen drink of the evening and a few uh, comments on the internet concerning the stories we're about to read. (laughs) And for those purposes, we turn to Sarah. Sarah, what you got for us? These are the things I can provide is alcohol and sort of comment sections. And we adore you for it. At your pleasure. Do you have a degree in that? Yes, really. Um, That's all I've ever done. I've been Mm. training for, oh God, over 20 years for this at this point. And we recognize your expertise by relying on you to make this segment happen. Excellent. Well, so I will start with... um, with my drink, which I, I will preface by saying that I actually really like this week, unlike some hey. of these stories that we're going to talk about. Um, <laughs> so in trying to come up with a drink that sort of gets to all, something about all three of these stories, um, I have chosen a drink called The Paradise. And this is, I think, almost exclusively this year, I've been picking drink recipes out of this um weird little vintage Boston deluxe cocktail book um, that I picked up at a um, at a used bookstore, uh, which I think I've mentioned before. So <laughs> once again, it is supposed to have apricot brandy in it. And once again, I do not have apricot brandy. <laughs> but we have made do. I, at this okay, point, so I am... what you're saying is mm-hmm. we need to find you some apricot brandy yes. or make it ourselves. I am refusing to buy apricot brandy on principle at this point it is used too much i say i mean in the honestly 60s. <laughs> like i think i would just do get brandy and some dried apricots and and just infuse it yeah that's yeah and i actually did have some fresh apricots that would have done some i ate them because they were delicious so we couldn't <laughs> do that here um but it's actually i mean it's a very simple cocktail it is um an well, I've messed with the proportions a little bit, but it's an ounce of gin. Um, it is about three quarters of an ounce of apricot brandy, but I've actually used blood orange liqueur instead. Um, and then it is, you know, about a quarter of an orange worth of fresh, fresh squeezed orange juice. I also put in a couple of dashes of the Australian bitters that you mm. gave me um, to kind of mellow it out a little bit um, or to give it a little yeah. bit more savory notes to it because Mm -hmm. it's very orangey um shaken 
served up. It's it's really quite delicious. Hmm. I, I must say, I need to get that chalice that you're apparently drinking it from because that glass is a beautiful way to spend an evening. <laughs> yeah. I have to say that. Yeah. Go ahead, BJ. That sounds like a good uh, recipe to make a fizz out of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, if you have the the sort of citrus and the gin and a little bit of something sweet in it, it would be it would be great as a fizz. Also right now confirming that there are about 12 different options in apricot brandy that I think I can ship to you. So we'll see which <laughs> one of those we'll go with. Well, if you do that, Spencer, I will, I will scour this recipe book to see what else one might make with it. I mean, we've had several weeks in a row where I feel like you're, the absence of this has let you down. We need to fix this. I listen. I am enjoying my drink. I am not let down by anything. <laughs> well, and and maybe we can you know go go all in on sending you various fruit and root vegetable alcohols as uh, you can have your own. Op- c- c- you seem to be the recipient of in, in times past. That is that is true. I do still have a skosh of that. What is posing as carrot gin and is a carrot liquor well. of some description. Um, from Levi, I also have that beet, I can't, I think it's a beet liqueur, um, that I can't seem to get rid of for the life of me. <laughs> well, before we, you know, chart our plan for restocking your alcoholic apoth- apothecary, you've said that, you know, in no way disappointed the evening as a result of a lovely drink, but I'm sure many people on the internet were disappointed with our topic for the evening. Yes, and so I actually... I want to start, and we had kind of teased this in our last episode and on our wrap-up episode for uh, the Hugo Awards, because I thought we were reading the Locus Awards and we weren't, um, <laughs> which couldn't have to do, have anything list, to do with the cocktails that I make for every episode. Um, but I, when I thought we were reading the Nebula Award ballot, essentially, um, I had looked up Nebula Award controversy because that seemed like a reasonable place to start. Mm-hmm. And it, lo and behold, it seems there was one. Um, and I don't really... So I have a couple of questions about... I don't actually know how these awards work at all. Um, and how these... Do either of you know how these stories are nominated in the first place? Like, how do we come up with the shortlist? They're done by ballot, but I'm not actually sure who the, who the, who the people yeah. who voted on it are. I was going to say, I thought it was editors and then a couple of other people were invited to do it, but I'm not, I'm not sure. Okay. I'm trying to kind of scroll through this article that I really, spoiler, I pulled up the article and scrolled immediately to the comments without reading the article itself. Um, but I'm trying to figure out what this looks like um, because there was a whole statement this year from the Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers of America board um, mm-hmm. that runs the nebula. And apparently 2018 was a real controversial year. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I, so I would guess it's the people in the science fiction and fantasy writers of America that, that do the ballot, like the, mm-hmm. it's like everybody gets a vote if they want to take it kind of deal. Mm-hmm. Um, And, you know, it's possible that I am actually reading about this controversy that happened last year, although I think that the reason I want to talk about these frankly absurd comments at the end of this article is that they tap into something we've talked about a little bit in relation to these stories. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think it's still applicable for the nominees this year. 
Uh, Sarah, I do have an answer to your question about who can vote on these things, by the way. Please, if you want to know. yes, I do. Uh, it requires either associate or active members, associate being lesser. So the base minimum you need to, along with a $90 annual dues, uh, <laughs> are having one paid sale of a work of fiction, such as a short story of a minimum of a thousand words. Uh, okay. To that and income verification will be required to process the application. That's it. You need, you need one paid short story. Well, you know who doesn't need to have a paid short story to have their views heard? Who is that? Commenters on the internet. Hey! <laughs> so... But they probably should. Yes. Uh, that, yes. Mm, yeah. Um, and so, as I'm reading this, I am sure that this has to do... Uh, that this is actually related to last year's ballot. However, and the, and the sort of controversy around that, but again, I think that, like, this is... Um, applicable to some things that we have talked about. I What I would like to do is actually not explain anything about what the controversy was and just read comments around it. Okay. And perhaps we can st- construct <laughs> from the outside in. Gotcha. Okay. I like it. Um, and perhaps uh, figure out if we can identify anything about the demographics of these internet commenters. Oh, God. Oh, Lord. All right. This could be rough. And I'm not going to <sighs> read all of them. There are, there are five. Of, first of all, Hold on, I have a, I have another thing to say here. Um, the Locus magazine website, um, where this story was published in relation to the um, in relation to the Nebula Awards, uh, has instead of calling their comments comments, they oh call it God, thoughts on whatever the article oh was, uh, which just I I'm not I can't identify why, but it really rubs me the wrong way. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I need to look up the locus now, but there are competing, in some ways, awards, mm-hmm. and the locus is one of them. Also adding to my and, confusion, I will admit. <laughs> and so is, um, and I'm going to do something terrible and, and apologize, which is BISFA, um, the British Science Fiction mm. Association. So... <laughs> Okay, are we ready? I'm the gonna. There, there are five thoughts here. I'm going to read. The first one is the longest. I'm going to read three of them uh, okay. because the second two are in response to each other. Mm. Oh. Um, well, I mean, they're all kind of echo chambering, so it's fine. Um, and so just bear with me for this first one. This one goes on for, for a little while. And this is by a someone who has identified their name as Yep. There is a much bigger problem in the science fiction world than just slates. No one seems to have a problem with Scalzi's slates. So already we're in like a, a, I don't know what's going on here. The real problem is capital H hypocrisy and becoming what you hate. All one needs to do is look at the award nominees and winners the last few years, along with the no vote, to realize not only did the capital S sad and even the capital, capital U ugly, puppies not only had a legitimate point, but the proof is the capital E establishment of science fiction group thinkers who subscribe to racial and gender identity instead of individuality as witnessed by who now gets nominated and who doesn't, having white males dominate the awards for so long, wasn't exactly obscene as they most represented the writers slash readers, but only giving them 10% representation in award nominees the last few years is definitively obscene and evidence of racial and sexual bigotry. Um, that was a lot of that was one sentence. So I kind of tried getting to your Harry Potter segment, BJ, yeah. uh, which leads us back to hy- hypocrisy. Period. P.S. 
course, this hi hypocritical bigotry runs rampant because of how the so-called tolerant ones feel so secure in their echo chamber. Uh, one, like Scalzi, a person uh, that was a president of the Science Fiction Writers of America, whose privilege encompasses having any opposing ideology shut down to d due to easy censorship, burn those books you don't like, baby. Which no doubt will happen to this direly needed statement I just made, but since you don't like it, you got it you got that delete button handy, don't you? So writers against the word, that's quite hypocritical to you. Don't you think? Sorry, this PS gets really hard because there are um, parentheticals that are never actually closed. Um, oh God, or do you I... just express oppress thoughts you don't care for? And so this is like, we, we are, we're getting into crazy time here. Um, yeah. Um, so I think this person need, I, if I were on the internet and this comment section right now, I probably would reply to this person and tell them that a postscript is usually shorter than the script itself. Yes. And so they probably could just have a prescript of the point that they failed to make and then just say, and then here's the babbling that I want to go on to do. But I just... Yes. <sighs> so then, so this is like, this whoever this person is, is the craziest of all of these. But like, then you have people engaging with him, which is always what you want on the internet. Snake. It's by mistake. <laughs> Um, so these two are shorter and I only want to read them and I'm going to highlight this now because it doesn't come out quite as much, um, in an audio format in, as it does on my phone screen. Uh, one starts, oops, hold on. Now I'm trying to comment. That is not what I want to do. Um, one starts, I'm on the left period. The other starts, I'm on the alt-right. So here we go. I'm on the left. It's clear that the few voices that complained about middle-aged white men in science fiction have taken over by a rage and shaming and completely jettisoned white men from ever running top or ever winning top honors again. Shouldn't quote everyone have an equal chance? Demographically, I guess it's no. Speaking the truth about this trend on the left would be career suicide, so they're silenced by the raging minority who scream racism like a mob if you question them. Congrats to the winners. And then our final one, I'm from the alt-right, and it is clear that the sad and rabid puppies consisted of mediocre to lousy writers that became a laughing stock when their works reached a larger audience. They were total failures, uh, started, mm, they were total failures, started screaming about communists and Stalinists because no one gave them an award for existing. News for them, after kindergarten, not everyone gets a medal. Speaking the truth about these right, rightist will only set them off whining again. Um, so I think that one is like more specifically about like this particular controversy, but I'm so interested in this like continued conversation in science fiction circles. And as someone who is not like super tapped into this, I am interested in, I'm interested in kind of where you all come at this discussion from and where you end up. I hate fandoms. Of pretty much everything. Start okay. there. Sure. Um, and I don't know. I don't think it matters who or what. Um, and and it's just I I understand I understand maybe why they're giving the point that they give, and and it's something that we talked about in a previous episode with I would say intense discomfort at least on my part. Mm -hmm. Um. And I, I just, internet comments shouldn't be a thing for writing. Um, you know, if you want to do that, do that on a social media platform. But 
it shouldn't be on like a publication. Mm-hmm. Okay. For me, I... um, mm-hmm. in terms of tapped into like the, I don't know, I don't even know what it is that that I would try and be tapped in on, but um, I don't know who these people are, and it distresses me that they read the same books that I do. <laughs> It's just an interesting thing of where so many of these comments like to presume this vast conspiracy where it can otherwise be much more adequately explained by just, you know, demographic shift in in terms of the uh, writers and readers of the genre, that it's become a broader appreciated genre over recent years. There are a lot more female writers. There are a lot more writers of more diverse backgrounds. And now there are people who are involved in the voting process and the nominee process. So there can be a more diverse ballot that occurs as a result of that. I don't view that as in any way insidious. That is just the natural way that things work and the natural way that taste and representations shift. It happens. And you're always going to get people that are shouting into the void as a result of it. Yeah, and these, I mean, these comments certainly strike me as, like, particularly uh, nuts. But... (laughs) It's one, it's one, it, it is, there's one accurate thing about the comment that where previously white men were winning every single damn award, they are now... I would say a minority of those that are nominated. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I pulled up an article from, I think it was 2016, which is one place where I could just find the ballot, that of the 34 nominated works, 24 of the writers were women, uh, 10 were men, and of those, uh, only were five were straight white men. So it definitely has been a major shift over the, over, over, over the recent years. But again, I think that just reflects that Fantasy and sci-fi has now become a much more widely appreciated genre with a lot more participation by people around the world. And so you have broadened your voting group to appreciate different tastes and different interests and different writers. And I think that, you know, there's a kind of connected to that point, too, is, you know, the fact that not only writers and readers and judges of sort of non-white straight non-white non-straight backgrounds are perhaps like interested in hearing different stories Mm -hmm. and haven't been afforded that option as consistently or as well before um and so like would is it that surprising that these are the stories that we are valuing Mm -hmm. in this moment no i don't think it is yeah yeah and I, I think it's perfectly reasonable um, that areas and authors that, that weren't previously highlighted are getting a highlight when they existed and were ostracized. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I think, I, I, I don't think that there is a problem with a, you know, you can call it an overcorrection. Mm-hmm. Where it's just like, hey, like we're gonna talk about these these authors because because there's enough good work to go around. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm not, I, from what I can tell with the voting process, it's not like there's a somewhat kind of some kind of affirmative action system that is in place that is encouraging set authors to be nominated and others not to. It's just it's the it's the members of the group now. They're the ones that are voting and they're the ones that are picking the stories they like. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, yeah, but. It's like saying, you know, the the Oscars and Academy Awards are, are yeah. not political. Yes, like, but uh, what I'm, I'm suggesting is is that there is not some higher up in the nebula, from what I can tell, that is putting a thumb on the scale to influence some stories over others. It's just the members are picking what they want. Right. Whether that's political uh, or not is a different question, but it's still individual ballots and choices. Yeah. 
Um, uh, now, wh one thing that one thing that we can all say is that it is enjoyable to have increased voices in these fields, and you know, a much more diverse area of stories. I also think it's fair to say that we don't necessarily agree with the taste of the stories they're picking each of the uh, this year. Um, and for these three short stories themselves, I well, not to you know, offer too much of insight into my views. I found all three of these rather disappointing. I, and I am not going to offer too much insight into my views yet as well, but I do think that we should mention probably at the outset that we did win, er, we did read the winner of the Nebula we this did. week. This time around, um, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't know if we were going to bring that up yet or, or at the end or Spencer, if you knew who had won the Nebula. Well, given that on the, if you look at the story under the title, 2019 oh, Nebula it. Award winner. Yeah, Even so I thought maybe we could that. bring it up at the outset just because... It's there. It's yeah, there. So. And I certainly knew it going into my readings. So I think that it informed my readings as well. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it, it should be no surprise to our readers who've also read through it that Give the Family My Love is the 2019 mm -hmm. Nebula Award winner, which is interesting given that it is not even nominated for the Hugo. So there is clearly going to be a difference in opinion on that point as well. Yes. Yep. So where do we um, want to start? So the other thing that I wanted to mention before we got too deep into um, anything else is that I feel like, and I probably have a slightly different point of view on, on the actual winner, but I feel like we got uh, two and maybe three, sort of depending on how you look at it, kind of weirdly religious stories, mm -hmm. um, which isn't, I feel like is a very small genre of kind of religious sci-fi. Interesting. Um, Which is, two would you peg as the most religious, BJ? So, so religious is like associated with a religion rather than religious. Okay. But sure, so sure, I would sure. say the dead and their uncontrollable power were was very, very Christian and kind of Catholic to mm -hmm. me. There's definitely a pronounced sense of purgatory or even hell that's being depicted there. Mm -hmm. um, and sort of like the transubstantiation sins and mm -hmm. whatever else the other thing was there is also a very consistent uh message of like marriage as the end-all be-all yeah marriage is the end-all be-all and then i learned a bunch of new words that seem to be very specific to i think catholicism but oh interesting not okay stuff that I'm familiar with. Mm -hmm. I mean, hell, so, like 80% of the story literally takes place inside cathedrals. So that's also a point there, too. That's true. There, there, yeah. There are, there are a lot of cathedrals on this uh, generation ship. Mm -hmm. And so uh, what was the other one, BJ? So so actually the winner like had a very... Mm -hmm. uh, I was not surprised that the uh, author is... I'm going to put money on being Jewish. Um, and it had that feel to it mm -hmm. to me. Um, it was, I would say less religious and more, uh, cultural. Okay. Um, but yeah. And then the last one, how the trick is done. I wonder if it hits on some, um, less conventional religiosity, but. Well, it is, if nothing else, it is certainly dealing with, well, it is certainly based around the idea of an afterlife. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, which like inherently does make it, at least to some degree, um, invested in ideas of of sort of faith or a beyond or something like that. So you know, 
Yeah. No? no? It, it felt, it was a lot more paranormal, mm-hmm. and I'm not familiar enough with things that go into the paranormal to say religion or otherwise, mm-hmm. but yes. There's I mean, it's built around depictions of the afterlife, even characters spending time moving through the kind of weird purgatory-based afterlife, and it's not a very positive view of what the afterlife may be like either. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but do we... So, uh, where do we want to start? <laughs> uh, how about... I feel like we should end on Give the Family My Love, since it is the winner. Okay. Well, um, and Spencer hated it with a passion. I did not hate it with a passion. <laughs> you just didn't have enough time and or effort to start hating. I, I, I'd say the interesting thing for me about each of these three stories is I found each of their premises is really interesting. Mm-hmm. I found each of the ideas by which they started with very interesting. And I found all of their executions of those ideas to be ultimately unsuccessful to varying degrees. So it's not that I hated any of them, it's that I saw the potential and I'm profoundly disappointed with them. Interesting. Uh, some distinctly more than others. Uh, <laughs> how, how about since it involves a rabbit, let's start with how the trick is done. Perfect. This is the one I read first, so that's, that's yes. great. Um, so with this, How the Trick is Done by A.C. Wise, um, which I'm, I am getting more and more entertained about the use of initials rather than... <laughs> Um, a name yeah and it does but like I don't know what that Vogue is about but anyway so we come quickly to the expression of a magician and his assistant and the assistant can actually do magic that is allowing the magician to do a very famous uh, magic trick that I would say Penn and Teller are sort of the uh faces of which is the getting shot with a bullet and then it's usually things happen it's usually framed as the bullet catch mm-hmm. yes um and it is one of the oldest tricks in terms of people practicing that in various ways you do it's been done a thousand different ways most of those as best we can tell did not involve a resurrectionist girlfriend <laughs> off stage restarting life on demand each evening as part of a Vegas stage show, at least as far as we know. But that's how this magician goes about it. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the stories which is framed of where we know the conclusion from the very beginning. We just don't know why yet. We open with the idea that there has been a death in the Vegas strip of a magician. And then we spend the rest of the story reaching back to that point of where there is a magician. He performs in the Vegas strip. And he, I think it's fair to say, of course, the story has left a lot of people in his emotional wake rudderless and abused as a result of knowing him. Yeah, he's not a great guy. (laughs) He's not a great guy. Uh -uh. Like, he's not a great guy, but also, like, I feel bad saying this, but, like, I don't feel like the other people are very sympathetic either. I I ultimately find their decisions at the end of the story faulty, uh, especially to the degree they just imminently, kind of casually screw over the magician's assistant who ultimately pulls the the trigger on the gun. Um, But we'll get into that as we go through, as we unpack the plot of the story briefly. Uh, I mean, I think we can, before we even really get to the resurrectionist, we start with the first assistant in order, back before he's got this bullet catch trick in place, of where he's doing a much more classic show in terms of card tricks and quite literally a rabbit out of a hat who is called Gus but is not named Gus and they never really explain why they want to draw that such a heavy distinction on that point um and he what 
Just you're going over the stories about my feeling about it. I'm trying not to be too sarcastic. This is a story I actually really liked through about 70% of the way through it. It was building mm-hmm. a world. It was defining characters. I was finding it interesting and intriguing. And then I found the ending, for, I'm not, I really have a hard time putting words to it, just utterly lackluster by the time we actually get there. Maybe it's because I. Interesting. Maybe it's because they teased me with it from the very start, and I built it up to be something more. But it's really just kind of procedural and by the numbers by the time it gets there. But again, I found mm-hmm. the whole story to be a lackluster. Okay. Well, we'll get through that once we unpack the damn plot. We're, we're jumping. We're continuing to jump through a little bit. So, brief run through the plot. He decides to change his act after his rabbit, who's not Gus, but is called Gus throughout the whole story, including by him when he's alone naming it Gus. That. <laughs> It bit off the tip of his finger, which is an impressive thing. Rabbits do have impre- biting, some impressive biting power, but literally requiring stitches to reattach your finger is an impressive act of rebellion from his <laughs> dissatisfaction about his continual role in the show. As a result of this, he decides to change the, He decides to change what his show is going to be. Doesn't really know what that's going to be yet, but it involves dropping his, inc- his current assistant by the curb, or in this case, at a diner, with very little lead-in. We see briefly through her eyes that she is utterly enamored by him and wants to continue working with him and follow him and just wants him to notice her and is imminently completely crushed on the realization that every foul thing her parents ever said about her is now true in her mind and she's abandoned by the side of the road with the magician disappearing with a bit of magic himself. She does not take this well and proceeds to the Hoover Dam and proceeds to jump off it, where in a bit of magic entering the world, uh, first impression that there is some real magic in this world, it is pretty much outright stated that she sprouts wings in the moment of her final fall and takes flight, ultimately still to her death. This is one of our, th- I'll say four, because I'm going to count the rabbit as a separate victim of the story, because why not, uh, that we see play out of our four aggrieved parties with their opinions of the magician. Our next one is, I get his name right, is Roy, the stage manager? Do I have that right? I don't remember I him even so. having a name, quite honestly. Yeah, I, think, no, I think it's Roy. Um, but there's to a, say that he is a cardboard cutout. He, he's pretty much a cardboard cutout. He he is a stage manager who has been following uh, the magician for years, working with him, and is head over heels about him the same way everybody else is in magician's life. And he's pretty much the only one who really even seems to notice or care that the magician's assistant has committed suicide. He's one of like five people at her funeral. He buys her roses. He's basically convinced himself in his mind he's going to reject the magician because he's of how utterly callously indifferent he is to the, the uh, death of his assistant. But upon seeing his smile and his flashing good looks and whatever else, he forgets all those and just hates himself rather than hating him and continues to follow and work with him on his new show idea. Arth, again, there's, the, there's a rabbit named Gus. Apparently he maybe possibly gets run yeah. over or maybe sort of the magician killed him. It's not clear. Either way, there is. So Meg, Angie, and Rory yeah, are the. Rory, okay. Oh yeah. Yeah, Meg is the oh, first assistant. Air quotes main characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, Meg is the first assistant. Rory is the stage manager. Angie is our resurrectionist, and Gus, not Gus, never find out what Gus's actual name is, is the rabbit. Uh, Angie apparently is at that diner, or at least is at a similar diner, maybe the same diner, at uh, when she runs the magician, who is doing very sleazy card tricks to get to pick up people at the bar which apparently work because he's just the master of charm and returns to the second night kind of amused and looking to see him again to find that he is in a depressed self-pitying state because he has lost his best friend in the world the rabbit Gus that he apparently left the door open when he was cruelly firing the magician and ran into traffic possibly and got crushed 
And she interprets his grief as being completely legitimate, and it may be in a very self-centered kind of way, and decides that, kind of inspired by it, she's going to try to use her secret powers, or not, well, recently exposed powers to bring things back from the dead to rescue the rabbit. And she does! Biggest use of the powers ever, uh, starts a relationship with the magician, and becomes part of his act as he starts seeing dollar signs and stars and applause of putting together a, a truly magical work of presentation. Uh, she goes along with this, also, like every one of the characters, utterly enamored by the magician and also hating herself in the process that she is as she starts to learn more about him. And, well, as part of this act of bringing him back each night, she continues to run herself ragged, and one of her efforts to try to decompress after the show, she encounters a ghost, Meg, who is apparently in a kind of mirror world where ghosts hang out. Well, she's not really a ghost yet, where the dead hang out. Purgatory, it's, or something <laughs> like it, maybe, it, or who maybe. Knows? It is very much a classical image of purgatory, of being a wandering desert where people walk forever and never reach their destination, in her case, built seemingly around a diner. The diner where she, all of her hopes and dreams were rejected and she was lost. Yeah, this is, I would say this is very tropey, where it's just like people, the ghosts are tied to a traumatic whatever in their history and sort of associated with their death and mm-hmm. yes um yeah she resurrects meg using her powers because she's gotten imminently more powerful than where she started the story of where previously she was barely able to resurrect a sparrow or a rabbit and even the rabbit wouldn't stick long which is described as being for some reason that smaller things are more closely connected to the natural order of things and it's the hubris and ego of mankind to think that they can come back forever and that's somehow the I prefer magic to works. think of it as rabbits and possibly other animals like horses like to die, <laughs> so it's harder. <laughs> well, yeah, we've got a lot of empirical evidence to back that up. Uh, but she resurrects Meg, uh, kind of. Meg brings her back basically as a ghost, because her body's now long since gone. And they have this kind of weird out-of-body experience mm-hmm. of where they see like a bird's eye view of Rory now getting his heart committed and set up to be broken as he, the magician sees another opportunity at someone just adoring him, which is the main thing he seeks in the world. And at this moment, they decide that, well, Earl, or the magician in this case, has got to die. And I think really only Angie's actually really invested in this process. Uh, she mostly, she says, because of her heartbreak for Rory, who the two of them shared a moment bearing the dead Gus, the re-dead Gus, back in the desert, and now very close with each other, and she sympathizes with the heartbreak he's going to suffer, and this is totally not about revenge, but about protecting other people that are going to be harmed in the future, totally, I'm not doubting myself in that view at all, (laughs) she says in the story, and they decide that they're going to let the magician die this time, and the stage presentation goes forward, Uh, The moment occurs, the bullet is fired, it goes into his chest, and this time, for the first time ever, she decides not to let it out. And while Rory and Meg and maybe Gus of his spirits hanging around somewhere are rather crushed by this and have doubts about the process, Angie rather coldly or callously walks up to the body and just kind of whispers a few last words that can either be viewed as taunting or maybe trying to inspire him to actually develop magic to come back himself. (laughs) Those can be unpacked however you want. And, yeah, the the scene kind of wraps up of where to I guess, to a certain degree to assuage their guilt that they did not bring the current magician's assistant in on the process for reasons <laughs> that are not really explained at all other than to say that there needs to be a sacrifice, which is not really unpacked. No, uh, and we haven't seen that know, like be a thing before. But if she was in the thralls of the 
magician, she probably wouldn't have gone along. Maybe, but, you know, there's a lot of other ways they could have done this in a way that doesn't have her most directly implicated for his murder. They choose to mm-hmm. skip over the police investigation that happens after this, which is probably wise, because that must have been really sort of unpleasant. That's uh, maybe they, the story I'm more interested in than this yeah. one. <laughs> Uh, because the most likely suspects would be either the magician's assistant or particularly Rory as the stage manager because he's the one that preps everything. Yeah. This would have made a much better, like, crime sci-fi fantasy short story. There could be a lot of different reframings of this that might have worked differently or better. Um, but she comes back to the, magician's, the new magician's assistant, I guess the third one in a run now, who we've heard from before really wanted to be a magician in her own right. Mm-hmm. And she partners her with, I think, Rory. And the two of them, through aid of the now permanent ghost Meg, start doing a kind of mixed seance spiritual kind of magician show that starts selling hotcakes. All while she participates, but less directly, because she doesn't need to anymore, and spends most of her evenings staring into the mirror at the magician as he now walks through his own version of purgatory, which is basically a place without applause and recognition and all the adoration he's ever desired. While while pondering whether he may someday find the magic himself to come back to, in effect, assuage her guilt over his murder. And that's kind of, unless there's any other plot points I left out, that's kind of basically the plot realm for how the story operates. Spencer, I'm not even sure if there are any plot points you have left out. You have done an admirable job in getting us through this nonsense. So what yep. what did we think about this one? Because as I said, I actually kind of like this one for, I'd say, maybe the first half of where it was building enough of a world I thought it could, go to go, could have gone interesting places. But it ultimately doesn't. It goes back to the murder that is probably the least interesting aspect of the story. It goes through some really questionable character motivations in terms of whether it makes me want... Whether the story expects me to sympathize with these characters or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and it plays out an ending that is just kind of... It's an ending. It's, it, it occurs. <laughs> it, ra- it wraps up some points, but it doesn't really reach anything that I find particularly interesting. What did you all think? So, uh, the the answer that, that I have, which is a bad one, um, I ended up reading... Uh, some of the nominees for the best short story of 2018. Um, Ooh, the year of the controversy. <laughs> which, short sure, controversy. Um, so we actually read uh, one or two of the uh, nominees from 2018, and it, one of the nominees was probably one of our favorite short stories so far, um, which is The Witch's Guide to Escape. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I ended up reading The Court Magician, and I completely confused this and that story together, (laughs) and I thought that when I went back to read this story, I was reading that, and there were a couple of interesting things that I thought we would end up discussing, and then I realized what we were actually reading, and I was sorely disappointed, and had to just sort of muddle through it and be sad. Um. Man, you took us on a journey right there, BJ. Yeah. (laughs) I did my best, because yeah. because I felt like I should say more than just this was a boring story and it was a story of revenge that I feel like wasn't fleshed out and didn't really go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, I did appreciate enough that as I've talked about, I'm normal straight up just revenge stories I don't think we find interesting. I did appreciate enough that they inserted a certain degree of doubt and questioning about motives in the characters, which adds a bit of rounding to the revenge story. Um, 
it also does take a little bit of effort to build them up, or at least, you know, depict why they are and who they are, what, they, uh, what they're doing. And I, I'll be curious to hear your guys' views on this, but I found this one, in terms of its writing style, the easiest to read, mm-hmm. uh, the mm-hmm. best flow, the, I think in mo- most ways, I'd almost say at times even a pleasure in terms of its writing style compared to the other two. Um, even if I think it, ultimately it just comes across as functional. There are a couple sentences I found delightfully playful. Like uh, there was one sentence, the room shifts and if Angie had eaten anything besides the ghost of bacon and coffee in the diner inside Meg's death, she'd be sick. I read that one about three times just because it amused me in terms of the working of language. And there's a couple moments like that I do like in the story, but it ultimately doesn't acro- come across as being especially well-written. It's just more functional than I think the other two are that we'll get to. But Sarah, yeah, what did I, you think? I, it was fine. Yeah. I, it was a thing I read and I didn't like dislike the experience of reading it. Um, I this, is, this falls into that category for me of um, w- one of the Hugo Award nominees we read that I can't remember the name of because <laughs> I can't remember the names of the any of them. The last time I know. Yes, thank you. Uh, <laughs> of, yeah. Like, I just don't care. Mm-hmm. I just yeah. don't care. Um, I think, kind of to your point, Spencer, the, I actually was excited about reading this story because I think the premise of like you could do a real um kind of seedy sequiny Las Vegas magician story here where magic comes into play mm-hmm. that like I that I care about and isn't interesting I like I kind of the the sea level Las Vegas show is I think is sort of fascinating mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and then you put like real magic into that and the the weird characters that populate that <laughs> um, particular side of Las Vegas, like that could be really really cool. But these characters had nothing to recommend them to me as individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, they were all flat. I didn't care about their relationships. I didn't understand the world building. We've talked to like multiple times about the sort of like characters, plot, world building, maybe language as you pick and choose if you're doing a short story. And uh, this just didn't hit any of them for me. Um, I, I really agree with what you guys are saying about different ways this could have worked. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of them involve, this is an odd thing to say, I think, I think we've said this very often about these. I think this is an interesting enough premise it could have worked well as a novella or a longer story. In terms of more time to frame it as either, BJ, like you said, work heavily the, look, the framing device of the murder is the starting point and now we're investigating the crime thereafter and frame it through the police side of things or frame it as very much a the, the darkness of Vegas kind of story about the magician but all of this I think would involve a lot more character development and a lot more build up than we really can get in this format and possibly a different author well, well <laughs> that cuts it right down to it doesn't it <laughs> Um, Which and, I, is a little unfair because I know nothing about what the, this author has written in other otherwise. stories or yeah. venues, but I certainly didn't get anything to recommend them here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I think this would have been a very entertaining, like, if the Dresden Files was a police procedural show, <laughs> this would have made a great episode. Sure. Maybe. You, you may even be able to stretch this into a season if you had a lot more material attached oh, to it. God, no. <laughs> but, um, um, 
I didn't. If I was like to like to put this in our prior ranking, I would mm-hmm. not put it at the bottom. I did not dislike it, and I think it is functional. And I think there are again, like the first half of this, I was pretty invested in where it might go, even if it didn't really go anywhere. I found interesting. So I, I would put it in the bottom half, but I would it would not be at like in my my lowest of the stories. Interesting, because even though I think it was Catalog of Storms that we all just yeah hated. Um, I didn't love the writing of this and I didn't like, I didn't like anything about it. Like everything about it was either okay or boring. And I feel like at least Catalog of Storms was pretty in some ways. It was beautifully written. I found that cloying ultimately though, just because it had no substance or ability to even understand. If, if we were to give, here's a question, you know, Sarah, you haven't previously graded papers. What would we all give this as a letter grade on an A to F scale? Because I would probably give it a C minus. Yeah, I'm about there. Mm-hmm. I think so. I think for me, like maybe a C, maybe a C if I'm feeling generous and focusing on the, on the start. I think that that it sort of depends on what the what the goal was, because this doesn't have it. Like it doesn't have anything good or unique about it. Mm. Well, and as it's I have just... told you many times, BJ, on this podcast, the author is dead. So <laughs> doesn't matter what the goal was. Unless unless the author is looking at you from Sorry, the I, I, in a I, diner. I guess I, m- I meant less about the goal of the author and oh, okay. more of the what the assignment was that was given. That oh, we oh, I see. I see. What rubric are we using here? Right. Yeah. Because like if we were in a creative writing class, I would give this a lower grade than everything else that we've read wow Mm. because because it's as a because they it's like they watched a a bad tv show and then didn't really remember it and wrote the plot (laughs) i'm getting the impression you didn't like this story bj i think part of it has to do with the the fact that i read it twice Uh, don't do that and there there are stories that i I am happy that I read a second time. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the dual nominees of the 10 excerpts, I I was happy to read a second time. <laughs> and I really enjoyed reading it a second time. And reading this story a second time was unpleasant. And the, the, only, the only thing, and it honestly made it worse, was I thought this was a different story. <laughs> so... So Sarah, um, the, the only person here that has probably actually graded papers. <laughs> um, oh God, this would probably be one that would not have a letter grade on it. Oh. Uh, that might have a sort of, I would perhaps circle, I'd, and I, I would have to go back and look to see what paragraph I want to circle, but something in the beginning that is the... <laughs> is the locus of where every, and I'm looking at the locus website right now, um, but is the locus of where they decided to do the story that they did. I would circle that paragraph and say, restart from here. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I'm going to say something even worse, which is please don't come see me. I do not want to discuss the story with you or give you comments. Yeah, well, I was actually thinking about doing a, a please see me on this one. But if we're doing this for all three of these stories, I have one that is very much a please see me. Um, so I'm reserving so, that. I'm keeping that in so, reserve. So with that. Uh, the dead and their um, uncontrollable I, power. I think we should move on. Yeah. 
I, right. Spencer, I don't um, know how you this. I will. I will preface this by saying uh, that we have talked a little off pod about all three of these being unnecessarily long. Mm-hmm. The oh. one that we are about to discuss, oh. I almost quit. I made it through this one because I I had a hostage audience in the sense that Bridget and I were driving to pick up burgers, and mm. this was what mm-hmm. I had available to read to us. So okay. we got through it. I got through it too, but boy, there was a point 25% of the way through where it was like, mm-mm. Uh, we, so <laughs> BJ it, and Spencer it, can talk about this one. Uh, 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 so two things. Mm-hmm. One, um, to part the curtain a little bit, we delayed our, our recording of this, and I was... When I got the information that, that we were going to delay the recording, I was reading this story and I was like, oh God, I don't have to finish it. <laughs> it's really interesting. Like I, like I said, I find the, pre- the potential premises for each of these stories, they've got a lot, of, a lot of options, a lot of hope, a lot of ways they can go. Like for the first for a first story, I, I think that it, it, even if it made it longer, there's potentially things you could do with it. This one, dear God, cut it in half. Maybe even cut it down to a third. Don't so don't try to tell a coherent story with this about the dead and in their uncontrollable power. Um, I can take a stab at the plot if you want me to. Again, I'm happy to bite this bullet uh, for y'all. Just, just I can do can it briefly. Get it really seconds, sharp and like... go for the back. Uh, essentially, there is a generation ship that is sent out from a dying Earth, by which it functions under the idea that the captain needs to be utterly pristine have no immoral thoughts so that the crew can view them as being the completely beneficial godlike figure they need them to be on this otherwise impossible voyage. And so to do that, they essentially implant the captain full of na- of, na- of nanites that upon their death divide out to take all the unpleasant thoughts and memories on one cup and all of the good hopeful thoughts in another cup. And the captain drinks one of those, and another person, the designated sin eater, which is apparently a generational position, drinks from that hellish cup. And then they go about their lives, the captain being the utterly, you know, pristine figure that everyone needs them to be, and the sin eater going stark raving mad from all the evil things that have occurred as part of the necessity for this voyage. Including eventually... Okay, realize, necessity. Yeah, I, yeah. necessity is what's <laughs> justifying everything from the perspective of this. Including realizing, not before the story is done, that the place they're going to, Paradise, has already previously been reached about two generations past, but was turned away from and apparently the entire bridge crew murdered so that the captains could preserve their absolute power over the society, which is strictly delineated in a class system built around the old ship designations of first, second, and steerage. Uh... Eventually, our, our main character is the newest generation of Sin Eater, who earns her position the same way the captain does in a moment of terrorist attack, when a bomb goes off and kills most of the command party of the ship, creates devastation in the cathedral, almost every scene in this story happens and in the cathedral. Father, and it's kind of like a, you know, passed from it's, generation to generation. It's, it, it, it's a baptism it's, by blood with the sins of the fathers being first and foremost. Um, uh, I got... And it's more than ten generations, which is disappointing. There's a lot of generations at play here. Uh, she, at this moment, both their fathers have died. The existing sin eater and the existing captain. It, while the blood, while the fires are still going, like they, she even describes at one point, the new young captain's robe is still on fire while the ceremony is happening, which mm-hmm. is a thing. Uh, she's still bathed in the blood of her sin eater father, our main character. They drink from these cups, and our story starts of where our main character now proceeds to 
be permanently haunted by the memories of all these prior captains, particularly the three most recent ones. To mostly the bad memories, the evil memories, the Which... the uh, one drank from from the chalice or or, or cup of. Uh... The good deeds, and the other drank from the cup of the sins, and they were transubstantiated into some. Yeah, and I don't know. And they're not—they're not really memories. They're conscious entities that essentially haunt her. This isn't about a thing of just you know, she's constantly she now has in her head the. Ver- it's not like the giver, if we want to do that, where now she just has the memories of these unpleasant <sighs> events and gets to unpack and process them how she wants. This is more that I now have conscious entities and beings in my body that haunt me for reasons. Oh, and they delight um, if you in wanted like her. a yeah yeah a, a bad like semi-Christian multiple personality disorder embodied. Yeah, we're, we're going to talk about allegory once we get to the end of this recap and what the story is actually trying to say. But oh, we'll get there. Do we have to. Yes, we do. <laughs> we have a job. We are honor bound to suffer for the sake of our eight listeners. This is our penance. Yes, much like you know this story is. Um, so. The key driving point of this story is that she's being hounded by these various memories, whatever else, but there's a repeated image that she has of the idea that one of these prior captains, the grandfather of the new young captain, both these girls, of course, being of the same age so that they can be mirroring images of each other, um, executed seven crew members with seemingly a world in a green world in the background that exactly mirrors the paradise that they're going to. She, despite being actively hounded by these ghosts, that now realizing that she's in on the plot, which you think that would be a more active concern, um, makes it to this forgotten cathedral where it happened and, you know, proves by means of a photograph among the rotting bones that it did happen. They found the world, and for some reason that she can't really unpack, they turned away from it. So she go, and there's been multiple prior revolts. This beneficial society is mostly built around the idea of suppressing the negative mirrorings among mirror, negative memories among the ruling class, so they can't remember the carnage that has made this world possible. Uh, she goes back to steerage. She informs the proles. The proles go into full revolt. She's grabbed by the new captain, who's still in the process of adjusting to what her new role is and isn't particularly happy with it either, and is very much a mirror of her and a stand-in. That's why they ultimately marry, because they're two sides of the same coin and all this very obvious on-the-nose imagery. Uh, They discuss the situation, despite being equally hounded by all the positive memories, which also apparently control her, too, as animated lives. Uh, And they drink from each other's blood, which is, you know, the nanites and having their blood. And blood blood of my blood, complete complete the sacrilege. together, yin and yang, and so now they're a complete part, and they can, you know, absolve with this all left and all right. Now, you know, we can pass on the shepherding of our culture to other people and not have this baggage of history i I don't even um and they're seemingly going in back now in the direction of paradise at the end of the story with the promise that upon while they're now ruling as a married couple uh which was weird as a political union to wrap up the story um they have essentially promised to themselves that they are now going to let the memories die with them and the new generations will be able to choose how they wish to rule and what they wish to remember and what principles they wish to bind them rather than being haunted by the ghosts of the past the end okay good work spencer what do we want to and say BJ, about you this? both yeah i don't know i, I don't this I is contributed minorly and and i'm don't. not sure i want to see <laughs> i enjoy stories about generationships i'd like mm-hmm. that 
-hmm. think this idea of banishing memories to set people is an interesting concept. I, growing up, really did enjoy the giver and exploring that idea of a society divorcing itself of memories to kind of shelter and protect it and making one person bear that burden. These are interesting concepts that a lot of interesting things can be done with. This story somehow utterly fails to do anything with that. I find it a I, a, just a, it is a toil to go through this story. I did not particularly enjoy the process of reading it. It's not badly written, but it some way comes across as an utter slog to go through it. I guess in part because, as you said, Sarah, this is really damn longer than it should be. Well, and part of my problem with it, and especially why close to the beginning I was just ready to give up, is that it does this thing of the, like... <sighs> Um, breaking up of the text with sort of italicized, overly lyrical, overly vague language about sort of the weight of memory and how these things are affecting her. And like, I just don't just stop. Yeah. And it doesn't just stop. work. It, it doesn't work because she's not haunted by memories. She's haunted by manifest beings. Yes. If, if this is a thing where she could no longer, no, essentially her consciousness has been changed because she has memories that are not her own and they're constantly invading, sure, that could work if you wanted to do that in terms of jump-in thoughts. But that's not how this works. She's haunted. These are literal beings that infest her, some kind of schizophrenia style. It's... This story doesn't know what it wants to be other than maybe an extended allegory on the subject of new generations needing to abandon the past and chart their own future. And the, So my favorite thing about this story and I do agree with you, is that I learned some new words. Oh, yes, please do tell. Um, We're getting a reprise of BJ's Wizard Wheezes. <laughs> that is true. Um, well, and I guess you all might be familiar with these, but they were not things that I was familiar. So, uh, sacristy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and the as associated sacristan. sacristan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so with these, I was initially just like, you know, in a short story, if you're going to make up words, you should define <laughs> them because you don't have enough time to really start understanding mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. Um, to which I found out that it's, so the sacristy is a, often a room in a church where, uh, sacred things are kept. Mm-hmm. Um, and, Similar to a reliquary. Uh, or a vestry, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. I was a little bit more familiar with. But um, so it's like, okay. Um, and then I feel, I feel like I should have known this, but this wasn't something that I was familiar enough to, to get when I was reading this, which was uh, a missile. M-I-S-S-A-L. Mm. Um my religion has a slightly different terminology for liturgical books, and so I was unfamiliar with the one that was a little bit more uh, Roman Catholic. Mm -hmm. As you noted before, BJ, it's fair to say this is a very, very religious story in terms of its framing, its description of the world, its imagery, its concepts of people bearing the sins of mankind. Mm -hmm. This is a very religiously motivated story. It's even got, you know, this kind of exodus pilgrimage across the cosmos to find paradise. It's pretty on Exodus. Mm. It has Exodus pilgrimage. It has people trying to find paradise. It has you know the sipping from a cup and sort of semi and and more than semi transubstantiation. This to me this was intensely Catholic, in but written by somebody who wasn't. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Like 
Like it just didn't. It had the feel. It had like the feel of judginess as opposed to something that that the 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 author was familiar with. Um, the the only thing that comes to mind, and Sarah, I apologize for this, mm-hmm. is how uh, the Japanese sometimes deal with Christianity and Catholicism, especially in anime, where it's just like. <laughs> well, first of all, all Christians are Catholic in anime. Get the gist. But what on earth is going on? And um, I, I have to, as a sidebar, have to say, when you were going to apologize to me for this, I no idea where you were going with it <laughs> and would not in a million years have come up with this answer. Um, yeah, I, th- there are loads of things that, that I could have gone with. and, and uh, But a reference that you don't understand yes. is, is something I'm more likely to apologize for than something having to do with you being from Illinois. <laughs> um, and so uh, the thing in specific that I want to reference here is Evangelion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Where it's just like... I thought you were going to go with Helsing, but sure, that works too. That, that, that was another thought, but I figured I I was very sure that you'd be familiar with Evangelion, a little less sure that you'd be familiar with Helsing. Anyway, where it's just like, you clearly know things about Catholicism and or Christianity, but your take is interesting. Flexible. And yeah, and like in the sci-fi world, it's fine, but like, it's usually, it's, it's often more exploratory rather than weirdly judgmental Mm -hmm. yeah there is no real engagement with any sort of answer to the question other than the kind of like real instrumental questions of like well to keep the power structure in the ship we have to do these things um there's no real engagement with why this is the why this is a thing how it came about why it was decided on in the first place what what these ramifications mean in terms of you know Mm -hmm. anybody but the the two people that are most affected like personally affected by it because Mm -hmm. presumably everybody else isn't drinking from the crazy cups yeah how how are they all just going along with it i mean like how did Mm -hmm. sorry i was just gonna say like clearly there has to be some actual benefit for people from this worldview and we get none of that which is really frustrating I mean, apparently enough people were aware of the fact they found paradise that they published commemorative photographs. Because mm-hmm. it's, you know, like I said, in commemoration of finding paradise. How can the captain just be the one that just allows everybody to go do a control on that issue? This is, this is an example of a story that is too long to tell me too little. Yes. If you're going to be uh-huh. so intensely metaphorical and allegorical about this, you need a shorter story. Or if you're otherwise going to be going through a lot of world building, you need to actually do that over the course of it. Otherwise, you're just going to put me through a long slog with not a very... I found this ending kind of insufferable. It's just, it almost oh, comes it across awful. as... What did you say? I said it was awful. <laughs> you mean you don't like Catholicism bad, lesbian wedding good? This was... I'm not even sure what you were described this. It's, it's so smug that it's just I've wrapped it up perfectly. That everyone is on, everyone is, everything is accomplished now, and everything is perfect. We've rejected the ghosts of the past, and now all is good. And I, again, I read this in the car, and the moment I finished, Bridget just sighed and went, "So everyone else is just now okay with it? Mm-hmm. All society is now reformed as a result of these two individuals. There's gonna be no prior existing prejudices or biases. How, no, okay. it seems fine." Yeah, these these the two godlike figures have willed it. I just 
How is Steerage not going to murder everybody now, given what they know? Okay, so... And Sarah. how is First Class not coming back for their power? Like, yeah. what, what are we doing here? Yeah. So, yes. as somebody who is well-versed in these things, and, you know, the, the previous one might have gotten a redo this, mm-hmm. um, this short story. Yes. If this were turned in to a um, uh, writing prompt of some sort, mm-hmm. uh, how would you address this student? Uh, this would be the please see me. Although I would not want to have this conversation. Duty bound? But it would be a question of, I think it would be a conversation about why this student has decided to take this course in the first place. And perhaps options (laughs) to not be in this course anymore. Yeah. I'm not, su- so I'm not suggesting you should make use of the with- drop period right now, but... Well, mm-hmm. th- we're after w- the withdrawal period, but I think with the work that you've turned in so far, there may be a way that we can transfer you to another class that you would might be more suited to um, the pursuits that you seem to be going after. Uh, yeah, I just... <laughs> <laughs> would, would you like to... <laughs> Make your credit for this class through um, perhaps written reviews of other students' work. Oh. <laughs> uh, right. Would you perhaps like to offer me a bribe for a letter grade in this class that doesn't involve me reading any more of your work? No, I just, for me, this is, I can't stand, I don't like this type of writing. Hmm. I don't find the plot interesting or new or convincing. I don't find the treatment of a particularly allegorical worldview to be nuanced or anything I care about. And I find the ending to be dumb. Mm-hmm. Are we, let's put it down to brass tacks, guys. Would this be our first failing grade of a story? Because I think even Catalog of Storage, we, we would have passed just because it was still very it's, interestingly poetically written and had a lot of potential in certain aspects. Yes. I, this, I, I wouldn't, I, I can't, this is not, I, I can't, I'm glitching out over here even trying to. The number of times that I don't finish stories, the only reason I finish the story is because we were talking about it. We really appreciate your dedication, Sarah. We really do. This is awful. BJ, you were saying? Sorry. Um, yeah, no, 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 I, I, I very much agree with you, and, and this is sort of one of the stories where it's just like, why was this nominated? I don't know. And I, I, I just, I, I hate, I hate to, to agree with rabid people on the internet sometimes. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, was this nominated because they were just like, we have to have somebody that fits these qualities to be nominated. And that doesn't make sense to me. And, and on, so one of the reasons that I'm bringing this up is, is, there's a thing that's going on with J.K. Rowling, and I don't like when when Harry Potter influences like anything else in my world other than our recordings of Pattering Around. Um, but she's done some things that have made it to the news. Mm-hmm. Um, Do we really I, want to go into this right now in this podcast? I I don't really want to go into it in this podcast, other than to say that led to Google curating a list from a an article that had a list of inclusive sci-fi and fantasy stories none of which i was familiar with and was this on it 
No, this was on wasn't on it, but but what I what I'm getting to is I I feel like I've said this way too many times on the on this podcast, which is the fifth season is such a good book. <laughs> yes, it is, and hits so many marks. I like I don't think we we didn't talk about the or or we talked about a little bit, but, but I feel like we didn't make a major point of the. LGBTQ acceptance nature of that book. Mm-hmm. No, we didn't, and it um, is a it is present. It, it it is present in the sense that there are so many things in that world that are understandable. People don't make a bigger deal about just because of how many other things in that world they have to worry about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so you, we talked a little bit about a uh, love triangle that happened, and and so that was a little bit, uh, you know one set of things but like one of the main characters was i would say you know somewhere on the transgender spectrum mm-hmm. and was just a good character and that like that that had very little to do with the book itself yeah. it was just there I, I, and you know it made perfect sense and whatever I, I think one of my favorite scenes in the first book was the moment when our main character realized that the other character is transgender and how utterly not a big deal it is it's just a shrug and goes, eh, eh, she never was going to be a good breeder anyway. And that's the only only, only way it's really ever mentioned as, a big, as, as being that much of a relevant issue there going forward. That's just, right. it is a world that these things are so minimal to daily concerns that it wouldn't make sense for the characters to make too big, a, big, too big of a deal about them. And, and so the reason that I bring this up is that there are stories that, that start to feel like they're showcasing certain things that that are important in this day and age and that's their that's the reason that they're showcased and i wonder if that's one of the aspects of this story because nothing else to me brings it to the forefront well and see that thing that i and i think this might entirely be because i did not read the story very closely um because i didn't like it and wanted to get through it um (laughs) But I couldn't remember, by the time I got to the wedding at the end that I didn't care about, I couldn't remember if the captain was a man or a woman. I think they're both female. Uh, yeah, both uh, both of our new captain and senator. Right, 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 right. No, and, were, and I thought so. Both the generation before them were men. Yeah, I thought so, but I couldn't remember, and I didn't care to go back and look. And so it's interesting to hear you talk about that as like such a... A, a focal point of the story, which would make sense given the like weirdness of there even being this political wedding at the end of it. Um, but by the time I, guess, I got there, I was so far beyond caring what was going on in this story that I didn't. I'm trying I didn't to even make know what was up. going on. Like why? Why is no, this story I think, a thing? No, I think that that's absolutely a fair question to ask, and you might be absolutely right because. There is nothing else to recommend this story. And and it's just like the only thing that I can see of it is there's a lot of Roman Catholic imagery that is ended by a lesbian wedding. And, and a very much a stated and allegorical rejection of the past and the voices of ancestors guiding the present. That a new path needs to be set based on our own decisions rather than being bound by the voices that have come before. I don't know. That, that seems to be the, the point of the story. It's every, I mean, yeah, I think you're right. In, the my my very own, on the I don't nose. know is only... I don't know why about this story. There were three other choices that they clearly could have taken that we all liked better. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, 
let's this is leave, a story we talked about. Let, let, yes. Let's leave the dead and their uncontrollable power behind and move on to our last story, maybe. Which yes. I, um, I did like that, better. That Spencer, you, you li- wait, you did like better. Okay. I didn't. I wouldn't even say I disliked the story. I just found it annoying. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm interested in that because so, I, I liked this one fine. Uh, this is Give the Family My Love. This is our winner for the 2019 Nebula Award winner for Best Short Story. Uh, yep. In terms of plot, I feel like I can do the plot real damn quick. Uh, do it. Going through the whole spiel would take a minute. But plot, basically Earth dying, astronaut finds means with aliens to go to library world that has preserved lost Earth knowledge, sends messages back to friend on Earth. Brother. Brother. Is it, it is a brother? Okay, I was mm-hmm. a little bit ambiguous yes. on that. Okay. Uh, so... Um, I think that's good enough. <laughs> I think that's kind of the plot. I, I think that's good. Yeah. There, I think there are things that we can go into. Um, I think there were... I liked the breaking up of the story better mm-hmm. in the first part, um, rather than the weird italicized parentheticals of the last story. Basically, we have an astronaut trudging towards this library, and we get distance measurements. Mm-hmm. And all, this entire story is told very... Tra- uh, train of thought it is she, she is offering the full spiel of her consciousness as she's sending messages back spencer would you have liked this better if each entry was started with captain's log uh no no i don't think that would have helped okay i found this a rough uh-huh. read because it is written in a way that is just a person venting and it makes for a very awkward flow because people often don't think in nice little flowy right literature kind thoughts and so it I mean, in part because I was trying to rush through it here at the last minute. That did not help in terms of going through this. But Mm -hmm. just going through it generally, this was tiring. I found it tiring to go through it. Uh, It is an interesting enough premise. I think I even was tolerable enough for, like, the first half of it. But then when it went on for another double or triple that, I started to get kind of just bored and frustrated with it. But it sounds like you guys liked it a bit better. I did. Um... And the only reason I'm talking before you, Sarah, is because I'm curious to see how you feel about it. And also, I have ignored the audio version. I do really want to listen to it. I think the audio version might work better for me. This really reads as a... um, It's Letters Home, basically. Mm -hmm. And it's Letters Home without a response. Mm -hmm. And this reminds me of when one of our friends was in boot camp and... We wrote him letters. Mm-hmm. And there was no way that we were going to get a response. And it's just like, what do you say in a letter that's basically written to keep somebody entertained and sort of, you know, you tell them a little bit about what's going on in your life and and whatever else. Because, like, you know you're not going to get a response. Well, mm-hmm. Though it's interesting in this story, there are responses, or at least there are received messages. It's just there's a six-month delay attached to them. We do hear her right. describe some messages she has received back, at least two or three. But but not actually get, like, a response to anything that is within the story itself. No, probably not. Um, and so there's an aspect of it that I understood and, and appreciated and quite liked. Um, I do agree with you that it's too long. Um, but I think that in some of the length, you get a little bit more about the relationship between the main character and her brother, Saul. Which, I'm fine with that development. I found the development into the dying earth ultimately unsuccessful in terms of setting a framing for this. I almost, I almost prefer that some of that extra detail was left out with what little mm. we get. 
Yeah, I agree. It's It's been a thing for the past at least five years for that to be a popular thing. And there's a... Um, we, we actually t- talked about it on this pod a long, long time ago, Sarah, before <laughs> you were um, so so gracious to, to accept joining us and, and a delightful addition when we talked about the Bobaverse. That author has a... Every single one of his books and short stories that I've read are The Earth is Dying and We mm. Need to Deal with This um, has become a popular thing. Yeah. And while I, I don't think it added particularly in the state of the earth that is described like it didn't bother me as much because it's really a thing like it's a it's a trope it's a big thing within the genre especially within the past five ten years and so i kind of shrugged but um sarah what, what but, let's, let's get let's get into some sarah thoughts she's had some i do want to get into sarah thoughts but i kind of i want to know how you feel about this library and I just wanted to make sure that I said what I wanted to say before we got into that, because I do feel like this could be a, a long topic of exploration that you would be very excited about, and I'd want to talk about it with you, and I'd forget <laughs> everything else that I wanted to say. So I will start by saying that this story felt like a not completely successful mashup of lesser versions of Mono no Aware. And a witch's mm-hmm. guide to hmm. something, something, escape something. That's a ver- escape portals. Yeah, that's yeah. a very interesting analogy there. And I didn't, I didn't dislike this story. I think I agree with the idea that, like, I don't, I don't care about the frame at all. I, I like, I actually really like the kind of stream of consciousness structure that it's going in. And as you were saying, that BJ, the, these kind of letters without responses. Um, I think the development of the character is really interesting, and I think the development of the character's relationship to her brother is really interesting. I don't think any of that needs to happen in space. I don't think there need to be aliens. I don't mm-hmm. think there needs to be this library. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't I'd like some of it. I kind of in, some of it I enjoyed. Uh, a lot of it I found to be extraneous, making it much longer. I also feel like there was a distinct shift in what the story was doing before she got to the library yeah. and afterwards. I don't understand why those were and I think this is why it feels like a mashup to me. I don't understand why those two situations are in the same story when they're never addressed yeah. um, uh, kind of I, in the other I part. Think, I, I, I was going to say, I feel like the ending has an important role in the distance between the main character and her brother and like maybe an argument that they had Mm -hmm. and like her understanding and accepting and i feel like there needed to be some it needed to be in the denouement of the story it's i think the mono noire comparison you just made sarah is an excellent comparison particularly for the first half of the story before she gets to the library of where Mm -hmm. a lot of that really reminds me of the end of mono noire and I liked the first half of the story quite, uh, quite a bit, actually. Though it's mm-hmm. very train of consciousness, it's compact. It's an interesting view into her psychology. We've all had those moments of just nonstop free flow of emotion as you're dealing with this kind of moment. And I think that works really well. It's just, at, once she reaches the MacGuffin, the library, I don't find the library satisfying at all for what it stands for. The, the, no, yeah. and this this interaction she has with this 
woman who like understands trees. I don't. <laughs> it all feels very that, facile. That was weird. Yeah. Like, everything about the library, I think, was unnecessary. I think what the library did was give it a. It's a, enough of a sci-fi bent to put it in a sci-fi magazine, mm. whereas. Like, I think it could have just been an alien librarian just like, hey, I found this stuff and I don't know if it's enough, but, you know, I'm going to do whatever I can. And, you know, I believe in you and your choices. And, and, and that was sort of the ending of the story that I really liked. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's we didn't need the, like, details about the library. I did not find those satisfying. Right. Yeah. If this story had just been like the first half or just been built around the first half in terms of going to the, it's not even the first half, it's like the first fourth of just going to the library, of the unpacking of thoughts, of exploring the universe through just her last message that she's sending back to a loved one, I think that would have been really interesting to just be that and avoid all the tropey stuff that occur after that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I really like the, like, I like the ending. I don't. Really? No. Why? I it, I just don't. For me, the ending is entirely is built largely around the interaction with this one researcher slash scientist that has been conjured, and that's really going into the tropey aspects of the dying Earth plot that are not either not very well developed or just so well tread. I don't find them interesting, and I have a hard time divorcing. I mean, what happens after that? I, I'm pulling it back up to try to remember. Uh, I mean, essentially, like the and the ending that I'm talking about is like. After she has this conversation, um, she basically is, like, I don't know if, like, I'm basically stuck here, but I just want you to know that I'm leaving, like, all of the money that I got to be this astronaut and send this back to Earth to you so you can raise your child and do, and, like, hopefully continue on. Okay. And that's a thing. It is. I, I mean, I just, I don't think, you know, the last half before that needed to happen well sarah what do you think of that idea of back half what are your pins about the back half of the story um i hmm i'm fine with the so it's the middle half that i have a problem with okay it is the transition half i am fine with right i am fine with the first half or the first with this is real fuzzy math we're getting into here so so you're fine with the the journey i'm fine with the journey and I, I have this 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 feeling in my heart that you love the library. I like it in I love it in theory. Yeah, I right. hate no, it. Yeah, like I hate not, it in not, execution, but I love it in right. theory. Right, no, oh, not yeah. the story itself, no. but what the library and it's kind of like not really navigable, and it's a different presentation of what a library can be. Yes, I think I think that's really interesting, um, and I think that. The, you know, I think there are some interesting ideas in the middle part of this story about, um, you know, the fact that there used to be thousands of these libraries. Mm-hmm. And, like, that's super interesting, although it has no place in this story either. <laughs> like, a lot of things yeah. get shoved into all three of these stories that we've talked about that just don't. Yeah, the... They're interesting in and of themselves, but they they don't need to. They are not tightly crafted. Right. It's a lot of untied threads. Like, even the idea yes. that the, the librarians themselves are a dying race that have mirrored humanity's yes. dead world. Yes. Um, so, but the the finding of this knowledge to save Earth, I find unconvincing and ultimately not super helpful. Um, but the the 
ending, I do think, to your point, BJ, is interesting in the way that even without her having an without our main character having response specific responses from her brother and having an interlocutor, her being able to kind of recapitulate these arguments that they've had again and again and again and come to the ending of her essentially staying in this library and him staying on earth and those dual visions of hope. I find mm-hmm. that pretty effective. Um, I just don't, I, and I, I guess I don't necessarily know how, if we were doing the rewriting of the story, how you would get there effectively from the beginning, but I just don't think you need any of the middle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think this is a, um, did you read the peer reviews after the first draft? Mm-hmm. Um, and try to incorporate like he... too many of the things in them. Yeah. Leave out war yeah, I, I can't tell. Right. I can't tell if you incorporated too many of the comments or not enough of them. Um, B minus, but please, please see me next time after your first peer reviews and, <laughs> and we can go over the manuscript. Yeah, I think I'd, I think B minus is probably where I would put this. Maybe a C plus. Um, I think that's a f- yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it's it's, I I it's got a lot of interesting things going on in it. Some of the writing I think is really effective for what it is trying to do. Um, mm-hmm. There's just this is a story that needs. Oh, this is a story that needs a really good editor. Mm-hmm. In ways yeah. that the other two stories we read for tonight, I don't think could have been saved by an editor. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other, I think. Yeah, sorry, but you. I was going to say, I think this and blood is another word for hunger mm-hmm. could have really used an editor. Mm. I liked this better because I felt that there was an ending. Interesting, yeah. Whereas I think that that had blood is a word, another word for hunger had like a to me more satisfying ending and maybe it just that I didn't get the point of it and it wasn't supposed to have as much of an ending would have been a better story in general mm-hmm. um, but okay. both I think needed a, a red pen mm-hmm. and I think that's ultimately a compliment to this story is that for our last two the first one maybe could work if it involved a substantial total rewrite the second one maybe is utterly unsalvageable this one, I agree that if a, a quality editor went into this, there are some definite aspects of this story that work. They just get lost in a lot of other things that I don't think do. But mm-hmm. that's enough of a compliment that I think it fits at least into some of the other nominees we mentioned previously, that there's good things in here that could work, and without necessarily substantial adjustments, this could be made a lot better. Yeah. Yeah, this is doable. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Which... You know, we had a lot of really glowing episodes of our Hugo Award nominees, many of which were in the Nebula um, Mm -hmm. list as well. But it's fascinating to me, the sort of overall, although there were things that we liked about these, all three of these were, I would say, relatively low on our lists if we were putting them all together. And and give the family my love one. Mm Mm-hmm. We also had 10 excerpts in the Nebula uh, nominees. I know, this is shocking to me. A real travesty. And now his lordship <laughs> is laughing and a catalog of storms. And I think we all thought a catalog of storms was the weakest of the uh, Hugos. Mm-hmm. 
I think I might have put it a little is... higher just because I was so annoyed with the one I can't remember the name of. Uh, well, <laughs> what was the one you can't remember the name of about? So we can the last time I know. All right. Yes. Um, but I think you're, you're, I didn't mean to interrupt you, BJ, I'm sorry. Oh, no worries. Um, but I think you're, it, it is interesting that except for cannibal women of Ratnabar Island, we're like pretty down on this list as a whole. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They, they picked my least favorites from the Hugo nominees mm-hmm. other than cannibal women of Ratnabar Island. And then they added three others that I would not put in the top half of the Hugo nominees. So, uh, Yeah. And which I find interesting because um, the Do Not Look Back My Lion, I feel like hits a lot of the points that make a good short story mm-hmm. in ways that how the trick is done or uh, the dead and their uncontrollable power don't mm-hmm. and and has a more, I would say, sort of unique take on society mm-hmm. that that... I think should be getting uh, airtime. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that we all three of us really enjoyed that story as a story. Um, and it also, if we are if we are thinking about sort of ways to look ways to look aslant at sort of social norms and um, particularly sexuality, as well as sort of violence and war, like that does all of it, and it's like actually a story. Yeah. Um, I just, I'm curious if, uh, 10 excerpts got nominated for anything else. Um, but I find it very disappointing that it was nominated for both and maybe it was second in both, but. Well, we don't, do we know the Hugo yet? No, not yet. No. No. When did those, we don't when yet. did those so, results so come that's out? That's true. August. Um, okay. in August. Okay. So, so we have two months, um, and there, there's also at least another two, uh, awards that that could be uh, of short stories within the sci-fi fantasy genre that we could you know take a look at at some point. I have also heard tell um, that my husband has a couple of Stephen King stories for us to read. Nice, interesting. Mm-hmm. I wonder how you'll feel about that. Um, I have made him promise that they're not that scary. <laughs> this is the guy. See, bear in mind that Stephen King short stories include things like the Shawshank Redemption. He has a broad category of things that are of short stories he's produced. That's true. That's true. So we will, we will see. Uh, there yeah. is interesting. In, in the nine comments that are on the Give the Family My Love, there are a couple negative comments. Uh, one person is really mad about a cultural anthropologist. Being... Yeah, he doubled down. I think both the negative comments were the same guy. I know. If I were not doing, if I had not done my whole spiel on the internet comments just around the Nebula Awards, I was going to devote some time to uh, this man who seems to have a personal beef against whiny cultural anthropologists. Yeah. Like, that seems like a personal problem, buddy. Of all the things to criticize for the story, the whiny narrator would not make it my top ten list. <laughs> And I was like, no, I think the narrator's fine. I think she works well and I learned about, a lot about her. That's not where my complaint lies. <laughs> uh, well, we got through them, guys. We did. We did. Um, uh, so, Well, just to confirm, everybody, this does not shift what we believe should be the winner for the Hugo nominee. Or the Nebulas. Or yeah. No, I think we are else. still still steadfast in our cannibal women of Ratnavar Island. Just making sure. Yeah, and I mean, I think that... So, so... If you couldn't choose Cannibal Women of Ratnabar Island, um, the other two overlap are And Now His Lordship is Laughing and A Catalog of Storms. Mm-hmm. So of the other five, what would you do? 
of the other five. So I'll give the family my love. Oh, okay. The dead and their uncontrollable power, and now his lordship is laughing. A catalog of storms and how the trick is done. I out of those five, I yep. I would still probably pick. Um, I would pick the Nebula winner that I, I... I don't know what it is with the, me and the titles of these stories. <laughs> Give the family my love. Give the family my love. They're, they're not very memorable titles. <laughs> they're really not. They're I can not. remember Cannibal be, Women of Retina Bar Island. That pretty, one sticks. Well. Um, I think I would still... Of those five, I would pick that as my winner if uh, Retina Bar Island were off the table. Yeah. Spencer? I'm going to ring my fucking arm. Jesus Christ. Uh... <laughs> Uh, yeah, I guess give the family my love. It, it's, it, it frustrates me less than the other options. Um, and it's got yeah. potential. It's got at least enough of an interesting writing style and premise to open it up with, even if I don't like where it goes. This is, I would like, and I want to hear your answer, BJ, but the, actually looking at this list under that um, sort of constraint, mm-hmm. it makes me wish even more than we had talked about a couple of weeks ago it makes me wish that a catalog of storms was better. Mm. Yeah. Because that's the one for me, that's the story where the gap between some of the elements of the story that I think are so interesting and what the story actually is, is the biggest. Oh, it's colossal. It's a grand Canyon gap between those two. Um, Yeah. So I like, I, I just, I wanted so much to like a catalog of storms. And I just wanted it so much to be something different. And I think it could, and we've said this so many times in the course of all of these discussions, but that could have been so good. Yeah. And I'm going to say the boring thing and I agree with you guys. (laughs) Um, I mean, honestly, like if I, I would probably have a harder time choosing between give the family my love and now his lordship is laughing, which I did enjoy. Mm -hmm. Um, But I mean, it did, you know, did have its its issues Mm -hmm. um and i you know there are aspects of sort of semi-unique storytelling that that i did enjoy and give the family my love Mm -hmm. um and but you know if you add in (laughs) retina bar island it just it's not i i i'm confused because i don't think they're they're in the same class no i don't of of how good they are um so It, it is possible uh, as much as it resonated with us, that the particularly unique format of can- the Cannibal Woman of Rat Bar Island is putting some readers off. Sure, it's uh, like, and it's not an easy read if you're gonna do that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so in yeah. other, in some ways, uh, give the family my love. It it is easier storytelling, while still incorporating some of the kind of formal differences um, in these kind of missives back home, but and. Yeah, and as said, for a premise, this is a hot topic premise right now in terms yeah. of dying Earth, ways to save it. I mean, for, this is basically Interstellar as a short story in terms of what the kind of plot situation is. Um, so that may also just resonate well with readers too, particularly for ones that are going into sci-fi. Be hard it, for people who go into the Nebula nominees or whatever else looking for sci-fi, which is a mm-hmm. lot of what the background is. This is a very traditional sci-fi story in terms of its framing, at least. Mm-hmm. In a way that yeah. several of our other nominees, including particularly the Cannibal Wind Retinamore Island, is not. That's true. Yeah. That's true. I mean, I guess it's... And I can see people being unhappy with it in the nomination because I'm not sure even sci-fi or fantasy is an appropriate appellation to it. I think it's very, very good fiction. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and I mean, so, it's it's really honestly, it's very, and I, you know, I, these sort of genre classifications are difficult, but like it presents just it to me, it presents much more as just like literary fiction, mm-hmm. uh, which is not to also, say that it's better, but it's doing different things. I I did I yeah. did leave out one note by the way about uh, who the members who are voting these uh, are in terms of what they've written. Mm. Their short story has to be science fiction, fantasy, horror, and related genres, is the quote, as to what do they need to be an author of. That's interesting. And so this is clearly a horror, because it's a nightmare magazine, which was the Mm -hmm. same as Hungry Daughters of Starving Mothers. Interesting. Okay, see, that makes much more sense. Um, I I guess it's a horror. Well, Esque. This this huh. is almost Arthur C. Clarke style uh, mm-hmm. higher sci-fi. Uh, sci-fi really is. It's tropey as hell. Um, so the last thing, and you know maybe we'll we'll end on this, and hopefully um, we'll be moving on to the Water Dancer uh, for our next episode. Yeah. Which is if you had to ascribe foods. Oh God. To these stories. Oh my God. Um. Oof. <laughs> Um, so let's start with um, where we started, which is how the trick is done. Um, and I guess I can I can go first. Yeah. Um, so so how the trick is done to me is a uh, one of those dishes where somebody tries to make something look like something else. And so <laughs> this would be like two sugar cookies and a brownie that have been like kind of you know fixed to look like a burger okay and everything about it failed because it clearly doesn't look like a burger and they baked it poorly um this is like what would this be like this is a a this is a poached chicken breast mm-hmm. it's pretty bland um it's something i don't particular like a food that i don't particularly like in the first place prepared in a way i don't appreciate I think that's an I, like I think that's an apt comparison. I'd describe it as being similarly a chicken breast that maybe has a good sauce or a good presentation, but is surprisingly dry when mm. bitten into. Of where it looks like it's got some potential from viewing, and even maybe the first taste has an interesting uniqueness or at least potential. But once you get into the actual meat of it, it's either insubstantial or ultimately faulty in a way that it shouldn't be for what it was setting up to be. So like a chicken parmesan that somehow. Like, they baked unseasoned and then, like, poured everything else on it. Why do you say such horrible things, PJ? <laughs> God, that'd be um, p- depressing. <laughs> yes, because that's what the story is. Oh, boy. All right. Uh, All right, what about the dead in their uncontrollable power? Uh, I can start on this one if you'd like. Please. This is a piece of licorice that I didn't want and didn't ask for and don't like. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this is bad popcorn at a theater while seeing a bad movie. Oh boy, you're bringing the environment into play. Uh, yeah, this, this is the idea of where, man, at least I've got... Uh, uh, this, is, I, this is a movie I didn't necessarily want to see. It's like, it, you know, people talk about like, oh, you gotta go see this, and you're dragged there by a collection of friends. Not to say you guys are those friends dragging me to the bad movie, necessarily, <laughs> in this scenario. But you, know. mm-hmm. um, but, you know, I buy some popcorn, like, okay, at least I'll have some popcorn. And I bite into the oh. popcorn, and it's just kernels. That's it's, so it's, disappointing. It's, it's not salted right. The butter is off. Maybe the bag itself was still nice that it came in, but it's just the hope I had is even is even lost where I had no hope going in. What about you, BJ? 
Um, so I'm gonna say this is um, freezer burned French fries that were baked instead of fried, oh and then seasoned with not salt, just truffle oil. Oh God. Mm. Oh, so boy. nothing like I kind of get what the goal was, but I hate everything about it. <laughs> All right. What about give the family my love? Um, I'm going to go as as tropey as possible, given my impression of the author um, and what it ended up being, which is uh, jarred gefilte fish. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you have any knowledge it's for like, certain this character, this author is Jewish? I'm I'm pretty certain. Um, I did look her up. Um, it I I can't remember if I actually had confirmation or it was like like ninety nine percent, but um, I'm pretty sure. Anyway, so it has that nostalgia. It has like what it's supposed to be, but it's just not the right way to do it. Like it's not bad but but it's just not right okay sarah you got an idea yeah so this um for me is a casserole which i love that has is like mostly right but has just a couple of ingredients that i don't think should be in there mm-hmm. um we are putting i don't know frozen corn in <laughs> the chicken and rice in ways that it doesn't belong or Actually, now that I'm thinking about this, this is a macaroni and cheese casserole where they have added Mm -hmm. seven flavors of cheese and you certainly cannot taste those. (laughs) Okay. It's it's interesting you mentioned the idea of like a a bad additional agreements or a poor mix because that was really my thought of where I was viewing this as being like a morning smoothie of where it's got it's got some it is got some potential. It's got some good ingredients. It's something I'm really almost looking forward to to brighten up my day. But it's like they didn't spin, they didn't put it in the blender for enough time, and they accidentally dropped like an extra kiwi with the skin on it in there too. <laughs> it's like, man, this is a great start to a smoothie. Why am I now sucking on hairy kiwi? It's just like, it's either not mixed well, it wasn't in the blender long enough, or they put some <laughs> extra things in there that just didn't need to be. I, All right. Well, here we are. I will never forget <laughs> that phrase of why am I sucking on hairy kiwi. But we are at the end. Yes. <laughs> um, at least for now. Um, we will probably be doing groups of short stories in the future, mm-hmm. maybe even some of the other nominees at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think to sum up, we're all a little bit disappointed in, in the Nebula Awards. Yeah. I mean, it seems to be where we are. It's, it's just such an interesting moment we're leaving and going from the Hugos to this, of where even in the episodes of where we had stories we didn't particularly like, they were always complemented well. Even the stories yes. we thought were bad still had interesting pairings or interesting thoughts or interesting potential. None was an outright failure, and none left you dis- even necessarily disappointed at the end of it. I even left Catalog of Storms really eager to talk about it with you guys, even though I didn't like it. I didn't, maybe a little bit, with Give them my love. But particularly the other two, and even that one to a certain degree, I didn't have any thoughts I really wanted to come and share with you guys at the end of this. <laughs> it wasn't like, I'm really curious what they thought, and I want to get into the discussion for this. I just kind of left deflated when I was done with them. It's like, all right, well, this is going to be my Wednesday. Yep. Yes. 
right? which is disappointing. That's not, obviously not what we get into these short stories for and what we hope for out of the experience. But we have hopes for next time, I'm sure. And if our we if do. our readers are look or if our listeners are looking for um, perhaps perhaps less disappointing content, where, where might they go? Um, so there's all sorts of content that they can uh, explore. Uh, we have our main website, which is mangumtalks.com. Uh, it has a variety of podcasts, including Mangum Reads, which has its own subsections. Um, Mangum Reads itself has a Facebook. Uh, page as well as a youtube channel um our facebook page is everything including our pottercast within a podcast pottering around um our youtube channel has all the associated content to our podcast within a podcast um with uh various things that we do sort of related to and within the wizarding world and we are embarking on a harry potter themed rpg which has been a lot of fun so far um, I believe the our character creation in our first episode is up, and hopefully um, our uh, continuing adventures will be up soon. Um, but if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions on things we read, stuff we talk about, or um, anything else that, that you feel we desperately need to know, um, you can comment on our Facebook page our YouTube channel, or um, probably the easiest way is to go to mangumtalks.com, click contact us at the upper right hand corner, and we read all of those comments and suggestions. And uh, as always, guys, this has been a lot of fun. Yep. Looking forward to next time. Even if the story is why. <laughs> Bye, y'all.